happy we're here this morning. I'm, again, nervous, and we're going to need some special assistance this morning as we begin to delve into the Word of God. Uh, I don't know what more could be said. I mean, pretty much all last night, we covered the whole story. Is that right? So I just got to pick my place in the story where we're going we're gonna to delve into this morning. And I hope you have pen and paper, uh, because again, you can't trust anything that I say. And I, like the Bereans, you should be investigating the Word of God to see whether or not what I'm actually telling you is true. And we're going to be going text after text, verse after verse, and by God's grace, we'll get a clearer understanding of God's character and His person. But before we begin, I, I, I appreciate the prayer, and i like to pray again, because I'm in special need. Let's pray together. Father in heaven... Lord, we want to thank you for your tender grace and mercy this morning. Another opportunity to study and to pray in peace. Another opportunity to open your word and hear your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. Father, we pray for the effectual teacher of truth, the only effectual teacher of truth in the gift of your Holy Spirit now. Give us clarity of thought and feeling that reflects your own. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. So I told my brother that, you know, we're going to study how to study the Bible. But the best way to study how to study the Bible is to study the Bible. Is that right? So we're going to study the Bible. And today's overarching theme is the stage is set. The stage is set. I want us to open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Again, I'm going to review things that we've already covered and then take little angles here and there. In Revelation chapter 12, we see some imagery that is given to us by God via his prophet. And in Revelation chapter 12, we read in verse 1, and I'm going to ask you questions, so hopefully you can answer them. Revelation 12 verse 1, the Bible says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. Question, Army, what is a woman in Bible prophecy? Excellent answer. I appreciate that wonderful answer, and I know you're going to give me the answer to my next question. Where is that in the Bible? Where in the Bible can we find that a woman represents the church? Um, what is it? Yes. Absolutely. Where is that at? Where's, where do we find a passage that indicates that the woman represents the church? Now, again, I'm challenging with this because we have our pat answers. You follow what I'm saying? So we have Adventist answers that are actually very true, but then when we're tested, we don't know where to find anything. All right, so I'm going to help just a little bit. Okay, my brother, what, what do you have? Very good. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading Ephesians 5, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians 5, and we're going to begin reading at verse 22. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is head of the what? Even as Christ is head of the what? So if the husband is head of the wife and Christ is head of the church, the church is equated with the wife. Do you guys see that there? Very simple idea. You can go to 2 Corinthians now, chapter 11. 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, and we're looking at verse number 2. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, notice what the Bible says. It says, For I am jealous over you of godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that he may present you as a what? A chaste virgin to who? To Christ. So the church here is equated as a, as a virgin that's going to be presented to Christ. Again, a woman symbolizing the church. Go back to Revelation chapter 12. Back to Revelation 12. And again, we're looking, looking at verse number 3 now. So the woman represents the church. Revelation 12 verse 3 says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, 
a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and then cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. You guys already know the answer to my next question. What's a dragon in Bible prophecy? Are you sure? Very good. The verse 12, verse 9. Let's read 7 through 9. Revelation 12, let's read 7 through 9. It says, There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought on his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called who? The devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So here we have a woman, this is the church, the dragon representing the devil and Satan, at least in this moment in time. And the Bible says that the dragon used his tail to take one-third one of the stars down. Is that right? Okay. What does the tail represent? Deception. How do we know that? All right. Let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, and we're looking at verse 15. Isaiah 9 and verse 15. Notice what the Bible says. Isaiah 9 and verse 15. Again, we're going over familiar passages, but I want them to kind of indelibly imp be impressed upon your mind. The Bible says, the ancient and honorable, he is the head. And the prophet that teaches lies, he is the what? Do you see it there? So the tale is an act of deception, and he takes down one-third of the, of the stars. Now, you know the answer to my next question. Is that right? What's my next question? Very good. What's the answer? What's the verse? It is in Revelation. Very good. Revelation 1 and verse 20. Now, again, I'm, I am going to challenge you a little bit because I'm going to go to Revelation 1.20, and in the context of what we're reading here, you are correct. Stars represent angels. But let's, I'm going to read another passage in a moment. Revelation 1.20 says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in thy right hand and the seven candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Okay, so in the context of Revelation chapter 12, the stars represent angels. But if I go to Daniel chapter 8, and I go to Daniel 8, and I read here in Daniel 8, and I want to begin reading at verse number 9. We're reading verse 9. We're going to read 9 and 10. Daniel 8, verse 9 and 10. Notice what the Bible says. It says, And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Question, what are stars in this passage? People, angels, angels, people. Now, context is always very important when you're studying the Bible. Is that right? Gabriel actually answers the question for us. Go over here in Daniel 8. Look at verse number 24. You see verse 24? Verse 24 says, And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the what? The what? The mighty and what? So the host and stars in this context are now referencing to the mighty and holy people. In fact, go over here to Daniel chapter 12. Notice what the Bible says in Daniel 12. Look at verse 3. Daniel 12, verse 3. Again, stars in their context. You have to look at the symbols in the context of how they're used. Daniel 12, verse 3. Notice what the Bible says. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the what? Interesting. That was 12, verse 3. Daniel 12, verse 3. So in the context of how certain phrases are used, certain imagery is used, it helps you define what they are actually to be. Does that make sense, everybody? All right. So now, 
I want us to focus a little bit on the dragon. Not that we want to pay too much attention to Satan, but let's just go to Isaiah chapter 14. And we're going to begin reading at verse number 12. Isaiah 14 and verse 12, and I want you to see what the Bible says in regards to this enemy of our souls. And I'm going to pay attention to a particular phrase that I I want you to put a little flag next to in your mind, and we're going to come back to it. Isaiah 14, verse 12 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did his what? So the question is, how did you weaken the nations? That's a good question. But now notice the next verse 13. It says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into the heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also on the mount of the congregation in the size of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like what? So here's my simple question. You're going to give me a simple answer. What's Lucifer's problem? He has an eye problem. He has an eye problem. Now listen to me. Whenever you study the Bible, whenever I study the Bible, never simply study the Bible for information. Knowledge. If you just study the Bible for information and knowledge, you miss the whole point of studying the Bible. When I come across passages like this and Lucifer has an eye problem, who else has an eye problem? I have an eye problem. Now I have to take the information that I have and I need to make it practical. How does it apply to my life? Lucifer has an eye problem. I wonder what caused him to have an eye problem. Go with me to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. Remember, he has an eye problem. Remember, the question we ask is, how did he weaken the nations? Don't forget that question. We're coming to it. Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 12. Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, and beginning at verse 12, please notice here what the Bible says. It says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of what? Full of what? Wisdom. I'm, I'm emphasizing this on purpose. He's full of wisdom and he's perfect in what? I want you to see the contrast here because he's full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Jump to verse 16. Look at verse 16, same chapter. It says, By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with what? But what was he full of first? He was full of wisdom first, but now he's full of violence. Keep it in mind. Go back to verse number 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. So we know that this is no regular king because no regular king has ever been in Eden. You follow the idea? So when it's talking about the king of Tyrus, it's no regular king has ever been to the garden of Eden. So this is definitely talking about Lucifer. In verse, it says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the gold. The workmanship of thy taverns and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Interesting. Have you ever went and researched all these different gems? I actually went online. I googled them. And I looked up the emerald and the beryl and the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald and the carbuncle. I wanted to see what they looked like. And I put them on this. I actually have a slide. I don't have it up here tonight or today. But I have a slide where I have all these gems. And the Bible says that he's made out of all these. Are you getting the picture yet? That he's made out of all these gems on his body. The Bible says that his lungs are crafted with pipes. Y'all not hearing this thing. Can you, you know, back in the day, I don't know what they say now. I haven't been around the vernacular of this day, but we used to say when somebody could sing, that girl got pipes. Huh? That means she could sing. The, Lucifer was created with this ability in his musical prowess to sing, and he was gorgeous. Let me ask you a question. Who gave him his gorgeousness? Who gave him his ability to sing? Now, I want you to notice that I'm going to share something with you in a few moments that sin is greater than just smoking weed, having sex before marriage. Sin is much more egregious and much more subtle and deceptive than we ever thought. Notice what the Bible continues to say now. 
It says he's an anointed covering chair, which puts him in the most holy place. We saw that last night. And the Bible says, and I have set thee so, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire, thou wast perfect in all thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. Now watch. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. Here's my question to you. What is the merchandise? It's talents. almost stuff God gave him. Listen, the merchandise, the diamond, the burl, the onyx, the sapphire, the gems. That's the merchandise. These are what he traded. If you go back up, look at verse, uh, chapter, chapter 28, look at verse number 3 when it's talking about the prince of Tyre. Look at verse, verse number 3, uh, chapter 28, verse 3. Look at what it says. Behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that they, they can hide from thee. With thy wisdom and with thine understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches and hast gotten thee gold and silver into thy treasures. By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic, thou hast increased thy riches, and thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches, the gold and the silver. The merchandise that Lucifer has, that which God gave him, is what has corrupted him. Wait a second. Wait a second. Notice again, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Now, in Isaiah the the sixth chapter, you go there with me for a moment. Isaiah the sixth chapter, do you remember last night when he was showing you the Ark of the Covenant? And remember the angels? Do you remember those angels in, in... on the Ark of the Covenant, did those angels, when they, when they looked in a certain direction, where did they look? They looked down into what? They looked right into the Ark, into the Shekinah glory, right into the Ark of God. Is that right? Everybody follow that so far? Okay, so let's go to Isaiah, the sixth chapter. In Isaiah chapter six, we notice something different about these angels. And pay attention. In Isaiah the 6th chapter, beginning of verse 1, the Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Question, what's different about these angels versus the anointed covering cherubs? They have six wings, but they cover their... They cover their face. These angels don't even look at God. Sometimes I ask myself the question, what is it about God that the angels wouldn't even dare to uncover their face to even look at him? Think about that for a second. You know what I mean? The angels dwell in the direct presence of God, and they don't even dare to uncover their face, and all they cry when they're in his presence is holy. You would say, man, this should be a different song they sing, huh? That's all they sing? Holy, holy, holy. I ask God. Actually, I'm actually afraid to ask him, but I'm asking him. Lord, show me your glory. What do the angels see that we don't see? Because if we get to see what the angels see, maybe church service will be different. Moses, when he encountered God, took his shoes off. Joshua took his shoes off. When you walked into the presence of God, honor, respect, holiness, reverence. We've forgotten it. We've become a little too familiar with them, you know? The angels cover their face. But the anointed covering cherubs don't. Listen to me. The anointed covering cherubs do not cover their face. They look directly into the presence of God. Think about this a little bit further. The Bible says that one-third of the angels were cast out of heaven. Is that right? So what I did was I did a little calculation. That's not a word, but you understand. And I I said, let's go to Daniel chapter 7 and look at verse 9 and 10. And I know that this is probably figurative language that is being used here, but I know that it can't be anything less than the figure. Does that make sense? All right, so let's go to Daniel 7. I want you to think about this. Daniel chapter 7, and we're looking at verses 9 and 10. 
In Daniel 7, verse 9 and 10, the Bible gives us a numerical value of how many angels are in the presence of God in the most holy place. The Bible says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came from, for, from before him, thousand thousands ministered unto him, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were what? So let's just do a thousand thousands. Let's just make it 2,000. So 1,000 times 2,000. How much is that? You guys are in college. Very good. 2 million. 2 million. So we have 2 million, and then you go 10,000 times 10,000. How much is that? That's 100 million. So you have 102 million angels in the most holy place. Have you thought about that? I mean, it's a figurative imagery here, but it can't be anything less than the figure. 102 million angels in the most holy place. Then I'm thinking, okay, the Bible says that one-third of the angels were cast out of heaven. Just to say one-third of that 102 million, you take that number, it's actually around 51 million fallen angels. A minimum. There could be more. 51 million fallen angels on planet Earth. Now think about this for a second. I, I'm just thinking about the, the ramifications of what the text is trying to tell us. So if we have 51 million fallen angels on planet Earth, now think about this. One angel, one angel, when Jesus rose from the dead, came and landed, and the Bible says that there was an earthquake when that one angel landed. Are you listening? You understand that idea? I remember reading in, in, about Sennacherib surrounding uh, the people of God. And the Bible says that one angel came down and killed 185,000 soldiers. One angel. So just think, 51 million angels that you can't see. How in the world did we roll over in the morning, get out of bed, didn't pray? What kind of you know, you just think about it for a second. How did I roll over, get out of bed, didn't pray, then I'm just, I got my five-minute devotion, Father in heaven, please bless me, hands on the door, got to get to class. We wrestle not against what? But against principalities, against the rulers of the darkness of this, of this world. It is a spiritual warfare that we're in. The good news is, though, I'll tell you the good news. The good news is there's two-thirds on our side. Is that right? So it's two to one. We have, a, we have there are more that with us than are with them. But hey, don't forget, this is a spiritual warfare. Army, you're our spiritual army. And you must be connected with spiritual ammunition. You, you follow the idea? All right, so we're taking this idea. We're building the case here, okay? So this, this dragon takes one-third of the stars, throws them down to the earth. This dragon is confused. Or Satan is confused because he has an eye problem. He has an eye problem. Now go back with me now to Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. I just want to emphasize this point before I go to Proverbs. Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. Remember the phraseology here because I, I, we're going to come back to it. Remember the phraseology here, verse, six, verse 16. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. Now, I would like you now to go with me to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, chapter 3. Proverbs, chapter 3. And Proverbs is a Holy Ghost-filled book. It is the most practical Christian living book in all the Bible. In other words, it tells you how to live. And if I had another study, I would show you how the seven spirits of God are found all throughout the book of Proverbs. But nonetheless, we're in Proverbs chapter 3, and I want us to begin reading at verse number 1. Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs 3, verse 1. Pay close attention. It says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my what? Now, what is the benefit of your heart keeping the commandments? Verse 3. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add unto thee. So what's the benefit of keeping God's commandments in the heart? 
Long life and peace. Keep that in mind. Jump up to verse 13. Jump up to verse 13. Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Happy is the man that findeth what? Wisdom. And the man that getteth understanding. Pay attention. For the, what's the word? Merchandise. Merchandise. Y'all not paying attention right now. For the merchandise of it is better than silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She, who's she? Wisdom, very good. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared with her. Next verse. Length of days is in her what? Are you paying attention to the verses? Do you know what we just did? Do you know what you just did? Question. Here's my question. Based on Proverbs 3, verse 2, what is the benefit of keeping God's commandments? Okay. Based on Proverbs chapter 3 and looking at that last verse we just read in verse 16, what is the benefit of having wisdom? Long life. Are you paying attention to the idea? Remember, Lucifer was full of wisdom. But now he becomes full of violence. If you keep God's commandments, then you have wisdom. Lift of days is in her right hand. What is Lucifer's position again? Anointed covering cherub. What does he look at? God's character. God's glory. His law. His law. So Lucifer, when he's full of wisdom, is beholding the law of God. He's beholding the glory of God, the person of God. And it is more precious than rubies and gold and all that beside. I have a question. I have a question. Many of you are in school and you're here to learn and get an education for the sake of making money. I remember going to a graduation at one of our schools. Many of you, I'm not saying everybody at one of our schools, and I, at the end of the graduation, when they got their cap and gowns on, you know what the young people start singing? Money, 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 money. That's what they started singing. They went to school to get a degree to make money. Is that what your education is providing you? Is that what true education is to provide the young person? Or is true education to provide the young person with wisdom? Which is more precious than rubies or money and all that beside. I'm just curious, asking the question out loud, challenging your thinking, all right? Now, with the same idea, I want you to go to, go to the book of Psalms. Psalms 119. Psalms 119, and we're looking at verse 97. Psalms 119, 197. Again, we're, we're saying this, 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 these passages, these verses. Notice what the Bible says in Psalms 119, 97. It says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Now, when I read this verse, I said, I don't meditate on God's law all day. Do you, do you think about God's law all day? Here, the psalmist saying, oh, how I love thy law. There is a passionate connection between God's law and the psalmist. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Now, now watch what it says. Thou, through thy commandments, has made me what? Has made me what? Wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my... You want to be smarter than your teacher? I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. Who has taught him? God. For thou hast taught me. 
How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Interesting. How many false ways? So that means when we have a true understanding of what education requires us to have or what wisdom really requires, then in every aspect of our lives, we measure what we learn by the law. And if it does not measure up to God's law and his standard, then I hate every false way. Are you listening to what I'm saying to you? I'm just talking with you this morning. I'm, we're going through the Bible study. We're looking at Lucifer's fall. Now, I want us now to go, remember it says, that was full of wisdom, but then it says he's full of violence. Go with me to John, the eighth chapter, and we're looking at verse 44. John, the eighth chapter, and we're looking at verse 44. Pay attention to the phraseology, okay? John 8, verse 44. The Bible says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a, a murderer. Is a murderer violent? Yes, is that right? He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar. And the what? Okay, here's a question. Here's a question, just a thought-provoking idea. In heaven, did you see Lucifer? Because when you think of violence, I'm going to tell you how we normally think of violence. When I think of violence, I think of somebody with a machine gun. A machete, a Uzi, you know what I'm saying? I'm thinking of blood sport, MMA fighting, you know, that's when I think of violence. But it says he was a murderer from the beginning. But you don't see him doing that in heaven. You follow what I'm saying? Well, let's go a little further. First John. Go to First John. We're building an equation here. First John, chapter 3, and verse 15. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15. Notice what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15. The Bible says, Whoso hateth his brother is a what? Interesting. He was a what from the beginning? He was a murderer from the beginning. So whoso hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding where? Okay, so Lucifer was a murderer from the beginning. He hated his brother. Let's go a little further. Let's take this, take this, take this idea just a tad bit further. Go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, the 18th chapter. Psalms, Proverbs. Proverbs, the 18th chapter. And we're looking at verse number eight. Remember, Lucifer used lies to take down one third of the angels. Proverbs 18, verse eight. Certain translations translate these things a little different, but that's all right. We'll just start right here. It says, the words of a talebearer. And in your study Bible, in your study Bible, it should say, the words of a whisperer, a gossiper, are as wounds. Did you hear that? The words of a talebearer are as wounds. And they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Another translation translates it uh, 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 as if saying the words of gossip go down and they're sweet, you know, to the body. You know, it's, it's, it's something about gossip that destroys the church. I actually think it's the worst sin of the church itself. Actually, I actually think gossip actually is the worst sin of the people of God. And pastors and teachers, and they, we seem to have the worst problem with it. Because we have to talk about the sins of the people, and we talk amongst ourselves how bad things are, how crazy this person is, but we're really not solving any problems. We're just talking. Problems in the church, we're just talking. We're not praying. We're, not ag- we're just talking about people. It's probably the worst, and I'm going to show you how I know it's the worst, actually. Let's go a little further. Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs chapter 26, and beginning at verse 24. Proverbs 26 and verse 24, the Bible, the Bible says... Proverbs 26, 24, the Bible says, 
He that hateth dissembleth with his lips and layeth up deceit within him. When he speaketh fair, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart whose hatred is covered by what? Remember, hatred equals murder. Whose hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness shall be showed before the whole congregation. Whoso diggeth the pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth the stone it shall return upon him. A lying tongue, what does a lying tongue do? A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it. And a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Do you, you get the idea? That if a man lies, if I, if I go to my wife and she asks me, Andre, um, what did you do with the $50? And I don't tell her what I did with the $50. I just say, I, well, I actually gave it to uh, sister so-and-so. When I lie to my wife about $50, the Bible says I actually hate her. Read it again. You see it right there? A lying tongue hateth those that are what? Afflicted by it. So any lie, I don't care. If you go to somebody and you lie and you gossip and you're doing that, you are actually hating the one that you're talking about even though you think you're solving a problem. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. Does this make sense, friends? Let's go a little further. Go to Psalms 101. Psalms 101. Lucifer got kicked out of the house. He got kicked out of heaven. Notice what the Bible says about this. Psalms 101, beginning at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Psalms 101, beginning at verse 5. The Bible says, Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Wow, God's real strong about that, right? Him that hath a high look and a proud heart, will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. Lucifer was kicked out of heaven. Why was he kicked out of heaven? Because he lied. And God says, no liar can dwell in my sight. None. Zero. Zilch. Now, is it possible? Is it possible to lie to God about what you believe in regards to your love for him? I'm going to read a quotation to you. I'm going to read a quotation to you. Taken from Christ's Object Lessons 159, the first paragraph. And the reason I'm going to read it to you is because I don't want to misquote it at all. I want you to hear this thing verbatim. and It's solid. I mean, it's so solid and clear. It, it's, it's really, really challenging. Um, Status quo, if you will. Pay attention to this. No man can of himself understand his errors. The heart is deceitful. What is the heart? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can what? So the Bible just said that your heart is equated to how bad Lucifer's heart was. Now watch this. It says, the lips may express a poverty of soul that the heart does not acknowledge. The lips may express a poverty of soul that the heart does not acknowledge. Now watch this. It says, while speaking to God. While speaking to who? It didn't say while speaking to you and you and I'm talking to you right now. It says, while speaking to God of poverty of spirit, the heart may be swelling with the conceit of its own superior humility and exalted righteousness. Do you see how crazy that is? So I can be in the morning, I can be on my knees. Father in heaven, I'm, I am so sorry for all my sins and this and that. And my heart's like, no, you ain't. For real. Your heart can be like, you are really not sorry. Quit faking the funk, bro. The list may express a poverty of soul that the heart does not acknowledge. Here is Lucifer now. Pay attention. 
Lucifer looking to the direct presence of God, but he takes his eyes off of God and looks on the blessings of God and corrupts his mind. Are you listening to what I'm saying? In other words, let me say it a different way. In other words, Lucifer wasn't smoking and drinking. He wasn't dancing. He wasn't doing none of that. All he did was take his eyes off of God's glory and begin to fix his eyes on the talents that God gave him, and it corrupted him. The talent and the wisdom that God gave him, and it corrupted him. Yes. Christ Object Lessons 159, first paragraph. And the third paragraph is actually awesome as well. The whole book. (laughs) But think about this now. Is it possible for us to enjoy the blessings of God and forget about the God of the blessings? This is just as dangerous as a homosexual on the street. Yea, as I was talking to somebody the other day, I think it's actually more dangerous because it looks righteous. So it's harder to discern the difference between the two. And this, for the church, is actually the more dangerous position to be in. So while speaking to God, a poverty of spirit, the heart may be swelling with its own superior righteousness and humility. Now watch it, but there's one solution. One solution. In one way only can a true knowledge of self be obtained. We must behold Christ. That's it. The only way. There's no other way to to, to be able to clearly see my true condition. We must behold Christ. It is ignorance of him that makes men so uplifted in their own righteousness. When we contemplate his purity and excellence, we shall see our own weakness and poverty and defects as they really are. We shall see ourselves lost and hopeless like every other sinner. We shall see that if we are ever saved, it will not be through our own goodness, but through God's infinite grace. If we are ever saved, so please stop checking off lists in regards to all the righteous deeds that you have done. Take your eyes off of your own actions and put them back on the Savior, for even looking at your own good behavior will corrupt your intellect and your mind. Now we need to answer the question, how did Lucifer weaken the nations? Let's go back now to the book of Proverbs, and we're looking now at verse number 14. Proverbs chapter 14, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34. Remember, Lucifer weakens the nations. Proverbs 14 and verse 34. Notice what the Bible says. Righteousness exalteth what? Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So here's my question. If Lucifer weakened the nations, what did Lucifer attack in order to weaken the nations? Use the verse. Righteousness. Lucifer had to attack righteousness if he was going to weaken the nation. Go to Proverbs chapter 16 and look at verse 12. Proverbs 16 and verse 12. Notice what the Bible says there. Proverbs 16, verse 12. It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness, for the throne is established by what? Righteousness. So the throne, if a king sits on the throne, if a president is ruling a country, if a dictator is running a a nation, then righteousness is what would establish that throne. It It would make that throne last forever. You follow the idea? Let's go a little further. Psalms 97, and look at verse number 2. Psalms 97, and look at verse number 2. And does anyone in here have a New King James Version? Does anyone have a New King James? 
All right, if you could just stand and read that for me, my brother. Psalms 97, verse 2. I just like the way it translates a little better here. Uh, read that for us. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Very good. Thank you. This is God's throne. It says righteousness and judgment, or righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Does that make sense, everybody? All right, let's go a little further. Go to Psalms 119, 172. And what we're doing, all I'm doing for you, we're just saying the same thing, but we're using the Bible to prove our position. So someone said the law, and you are absolutely correct, but now let's prove it from the Bible. Lucifer attacked righteousness. Righteousness equals something. Psalms 119, 172. Notice what the Bible says here. The Bible says, My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are what? So if I say, now, how did Lucifer weaken the nations? Lucifer attacked righteousness. Righteousness equals God's commandments. So war in heaven, Lucifer attacks the very nature and the very person and the very character of God. It was a character assassination. Are you listening to me? And a character assassination is just as bad as physical murder. Or worse. I was, uh, had an experience, actually, a few months ago, where character assassination was very real. I mean, somebody just tried to destroy my character. I mean, they tried to destroy the, the nature of the ministry. It was very, very bad. Actually felt like I couldn't eat for three days. I mean, that's how deep that character assassination went, and it's so interesting. Another time when we were sitting down, I was uh, at the church, and somebody didn't know I was around the corner, you know? And I'm sitting there in the church, minding my business, and you can hear character assassination around the corner. And then when you go around the corner, hey, Brother Andre, nice to see you. Duplicity. Just ask yourself the question, do you behave that way with anybody at any time for any reason? If you have a problem with somebody, you don't tell anybody, you don't talk to the person that you have the problem with, you go to somebody else and say, girl, did you know so-and-so did that to me? And the girl's like, yeah, she shouldn't have did that to you. (laughs) Right? And then once you do that, then you and the girl somehow make up, but you already told this other girl. So this other girl's cutting eyes at this girl, she don't even know why she's cutting eyes. Like, why she got beef with me? I had no beef with her, now she's beefing with me. You follow what I'm saying? This is a problem, a big problem. Huge. In one way only can a true knowledge of self be attained. We must behold Christ. So if there's a character assassination of this nature where where the very highest angel slashes the person of God, then what is the only way that that character can be vindicated? Because think about it for a moment. If the person that's being slashed comes out and says, I didn't do it, it sounds self-serving. Doesn't it sound self-serving? Of course you're going to say, I didn't do it. Everybody says they didn't do it, even when they know they did it. Just ask Jody Harris. Right? Clearly killed the dude. And then gets on TV and says, I didn't do it. Some guy jumped, somebody jumped in the room and beat us up and took, you know, it's like lying to protect self. So, of course, the person that's being assassinated cannot vindicate his own character. So what has to happen? There has to be somebody who's higher or closer who comes out as a witness to say, no, God is not like that. Are you following the idea? Let's go a little further with this. Go to John. No, before you go to John, I want you to go to Genesis. Go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, and beginning at verse number 26. Genesis 1 verse 26. Notice what the Bible says in Genesis 1 26. The Bible says, and God said, let us make man in our what? After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over 
all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So God makes man in his image. Now, I had a question. What is his image? The answer came to me one day as I was studying because, believe it or not, and you go back and you research this book, look in the book Education, first chapter, it highlights that the image of God was not only um, in his character alone, but also physical. I thought that was phenomenal. Humanity was created in the image, the form of God. Think, think for a moment. Go with me now to 1 John, back to 1 John, talking about the image of God. 1 John, the four, chapter 4, and we're looking at verse number 8. You know this by heart. Remember, man is made in the image of God. 1 John 4 and verse 8. Notice what the Bible says, 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God... For God is what? So when God made man, listen to this. When God made man, he made man in the image of love. Y'all not hearing this thing. God made man in his own image, in in his likeness. He made man in the image of love. And he set love to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowls of the air and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Love had dominion in creation. Are you following me? This is the image that we were created in. This is what allowed us to rule. In fact, go with me to the book of Hebrews now. The book of Hebrews highlights something else. Hebrews, the second chapter. Hebrews, the second chapter. Sometimes when I want to get there fast, the pages stick together. Hebrews, the second chapter. And we're going to begin reading. At verse, we'll start at verse number five. I mean, you can start with the whole book. It's just the book, the book of Hebrews is so awesome. Um, but we'll start at verse 5. It says, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, wherefore we speak. But one in a certain place testifies, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than what? Interesting. So man is made a little lower than the angels. Keep going now. Thou crownest him. Who wears a crown? Man. Royalty wears crowns. Is that right? Kings wear crowns. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. Y'all listening to this? When man was crowned, his crown consisted of glory and honor. And didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under him, for in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. In other words, everything that was created, he put under the subjection of man, and man was made a little lower than the angels, but he was made in the image of God to rule with the dominion of love, and he had a crown of glory and honor. But the last part of this sentence, the last part of this sentence says this, And did it set him over the works of thy hand? Thou hast put all things under the subjection of his feet. For in that he put all things under the subjection of him. He let nothing that is not put under his feet. But now we see not yet all things under his feet. Do you see that? So in other words, man initially created to have dominion, to rule with the image of God. Everything subjected under him. But the, the writer says, all things are not under him anymore. He's lost his crown. He's lost his ability to rule under the same love that God would rule with. Now, let's keep reading. Keep reading. Watch what it says. But we see who? Come on now. I love this. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. For what purpose? For the suffering of what? Crowned with what? Glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for who? Think about this for a second. 
So the intent here that God is trying to highlight is man had a position of kingship. He lost his position of kingship. And Jesus comes a little lower than the angels for the purpose of suffering and death that he tasted for every man. And he wears the crown that Adam lost. He wears the crown that Adam lost. God has the intent. Do you know, little sis, he plans to give you a world to rule over. Did you know that? I mean, he plans to put crowns on your head. Royalty wears crowns. Royalty rules. Royalty has dominion. Now think about this for a second. I have three minutes left in this session. The Bible says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's John 1 verse 14. I want you to think about this for a moment. Here is heaven. God is here. Angels here. Man here. Because the Bible says man was made a little lower than the... Okay. If God is here, angels here, man here, let's take that and let's put a little equation to... Help us understand the depth by which God came down for us. Men here, mammals here, maggots here. Insects, bugs, they're pretty low on the totem pole. You follow what I'm saying? So you have men, dogs, insects. It was a hard thing for him to even come if he were to be an angel. That would have been a hard thing by itself. Would you die for a bunch of maggots? Think about it. Would I morph into a maggot, dive into the barrel of maggots to save the barrel? Absolutely not. I wouldn't do it. When man sinned, sin is as worse or dirty or nasty as maggots. It's as horrible. So a perfect holy being descending into the form of a human being tells me there's great love for that creation. Fallen. Do you see what I'm saying right here? Is it settling in your mind a little bit? Now think about this. What happens to that race, if a divine being now takes on the form of its fallen creation, what happens to that race? That race now becomes exalted. Y'all not hearing this? That fallen race no longer is now this decrepit maggot group. This group is now exalted because the one of the greatest of all the universe has decided to put this on and keep it there. Now watch this. I'm going to read something to you. This is so exciting. This is from the book Desire of Ages. When I'm done reading this, I'll stop. Desire of Ages, watch this. And I think it's page 24. And it's just such a beautiful thought. Watch this. Father in heaven, as I read this, I just ask for clarity that you can communicate what you desire In these few moments, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It says, In stooping to take upon himself humanity, Christ revealed a character, the opposite of Satan. Satan said, I will ascend. Jesus said, I will descend. But he he stepped still lower in the path of humiliation. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. As the high priest laid aside his gorgeous pontifical robes and officiated in the white linen dress of the common priest, so Christ took the form of a servant and offered himself a sacrifice, himself the priest, himself the victim. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. I'm going to skip a paragraph. It says, by his life and death. Listen to this. This is, listen. Listen. When you go home, just 
It's Desire of Ages, page 25, third paragraph. You just need to meditate on this paragraph for three hours. Don't do nothing else. Don't turn your TV on. Just read this paragraph and just keep reading it until it just sears into your brain. Watch what this says. By his life and death, Christ has achieved even more than recovery from the ruin wrought by sin. It was Satan's purpose to bring about an eternal separation between God and man. But in Christ, we become more closely united to God than if we had never fallen. Did you hear that? In taking our nature, the Savior has bound himself to humanity by a tie that is never to be broken. Through the eternal ages, he is linked with us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him not only to bear our sins and to die as our sacrifice, he gave, his, he gave him to the fallen race. To assure us of this immutable counsel of peace, God gave his only begotten son to become one of the human family forever to retain human nature. Y'all not hear that? The God of the universe, I will keep flesh forever. I will retain humanity forever. Think about it. Just think about it. Why would that be important for us? Can you imagine this for a second? You're in heaven, and you start thinking, man, what if God gets mad at me today? What if he changes his mind? Sister White says, to assure us of this immutable counsel of peace, he has retained humanity forever, so every time you see him, you know you're all right. Every time you see him in heaven, you're going to know, I'm okay, I am safe, he is one with us. Watch this. It says, to assure us of his immutable counsel of peace, God gave his only begotten son to become one of the human family forever to retain human nature. This is the pledge that God will fulfill his word. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. God has adopted human nature in the person of his son and has carried the same into the highest heaven It is the Son of Man who shares the throne of the universe. You notice it didn't say it's the Son of God who shares the throne of the universe. It's the Son of Man. It's the Son of Man who sits in the highest seat in the universe. It is the Son of Man whose name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The I Am is the daysman between God and humanity, laying his hand on both. He who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, is not ashamed to call us brethren. In Christ, listen to this, in Christ the family of earth and the family of heaven are bound together. Christ glorified is our brother. Heaven is enshrined in humanity, and humanity is enfolded in the bosom of infinite love. Powerful. I know why everybody hates Ellen White. I know why they hate her writings. Because if you read them, you'll see Jesus like you've never seen him. And one way only can a true knowledge of self be obtained. We must behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He is one with us. He is the king of our race. If you're born again, you're his tribe. If I had a phone and I had direct access to Obama, Obama, look, the sequester, I don't want that to affect us. Please send us money. Direct access, direct line. No problem, Andre. Got you. Everybody be happy about having direct line to the President Obama. But why aren't we as, just as happy to have direct line to the throne of the universe? The one who knows the end from the beginning, who knows every aspect of our lives, 
Why don't we trust him with everything that we have? I'm going to pause now. I can't use that. I asked Ivor if I could use pause. We're going to pause now. We're going to break. I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we're going to receive our instruction. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for your son Jesus and the plan of salvation that you make so plain in your word. I ask, Father, that you continue to reveal the realities of your dear son. I ask that you make it plain to us, Lord, that we may live a life that is pleasing to you. Not simply for head knowledge, Lord, but that your character can be demonstrated in ours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.